I'm Dwayne Ford. Joe Tilly Sports is coming up. This week's special guest, Tara Watchorn, the pride of Newcastle, Olympic gold medalist. She's going to tell us about her new coaching gig, Joe Tilly Sports, coming up. Our guest today, very pleased to have her on the program. She was born in Ajax, grew up in Newcastle, played NCAA hockey at Boston University, a Hockey East All-Rookie, three-time Hockey East All-Star, the 2015 Canadian Women's Hockey League Defenseman of the Year. She won a gold medal with the Canadian Under-22 team. At the Four Nations Cup, she won a pair of gold medals. At the World Championships, she was a member of three silver medal winning teams. She won gold for Canada at the 2014 Olympics. She was recently named head coach at Stonehill College. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program, Tara Watchorn, Tara Watchorn Stone. Tara, <laughs> tell us how you, uh, how you got interested in, in hockey and how you started out in the game. Yeah, I mean, a small town Canadian girl. My story probably isn't too different um, than from a lot of the other girls out there. I had an older brother um, who who played hockey, and um, I wanted to do everything that he did. And if that meant being at the rink and being around family and being with everyone, that's where I wanted to be. And I think just the love for the game after getting that experience. And uh, my dad will always tell the story that I wanted to go to the early practices. I wanted to be there. And he said, well, I'm not going to wake you up. So if you're ready to go, then you can come with us. And he said that I'd be down at the front door sitting on my hockey bag around 5 a.m. And that's kind of how I, uh, you know, got it going. And I think just just the love for being around the rank and being a part of a team is what really had me, you know, play as long as I did. Sounds like you really got the bug early. And now, was, uh, were there, like, things have changed a little bit over the years, but were there any roadblocks for you? Did you find like a, as a girl playing hockey, or did you run into some roadblocks along the way? Yeah, I mean, I grew up playing boys hockey um, in Newcastle and um, in the area there. I think I was really fortunate. Um, you know, you talk about the outliers rule and having a niche community that I got to grow up in where I was so supported and got to play with the boys and then eventually move on onto the girl side. So I feel fortunate my path in growing up that um, I did have such a great community to grow up in and, um, you know, playing boys hockey, it's, you know, you know, you're in your own dressing room as you get older and things like that. But for the most part, my experience was pretty smooth and I feel grateful for, you know, the circumstances that I grew up in. Who are some of the folks that made a big difference for you personally? I had some great, great coaches growing up, you know, Rick Palmatier in Newcastle there, I'll never forget. Um, you know, I'm a true believer that when you are able to win a championship early as a young as a young kid, that feeling sticks with you the rest of your life and, and you'll strive for that feeling. And um, two two memories really stick out for me. And one's with Newcastle and, and winning the league there. And then the other one was playing with Durham West, um, I believe in Pee Wee with Dino Kajula there as our coach. And he kind of stuck with us through through a lot of years and, you know, two big 
year is that we had great cultures and we got to win the whole thing. And, and those I really feel fortunate, you know, like I said, really stick with you. And I had such great coaches growing up um, that really helped with my development. So from Newcastle, you move on south of the border, uh, Boston University. Uh, tell us how you ended up uh, choosing that school or being at that school. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, going through the recruiting process, the uh, schools start to reach out. Fortunate in Ontario, it's a pretty heavily recruited area. We have a lot of great hockey here on the women's side. And um, as you get into grade 11 and 12, you start to hear from different schools. And I was fortunate enough to have some opportunities to play for some established programs and to go, to go, like you said, go south of the border and play college hockey. And um, as I sl slowly started to narrow it down, BU just, it was uh, still on the list. It made it to my top three. And you know, you get to go and do official visits and and see the campus and meet the team. And, you know, what a lot of people don't know at the time, Boston University was only three years, three, four years into the history of the program when when I was going through the process, um, going into my freshman year. And um, they obviously had such a great history, hockey history on the men's side, um, great academics, um, obviously in the best city in the world. Um, so I think it checked a lot of boxes for me and I got to get on campus and get that gut feeling. And I took a chance. I took a chance on a young program. I wanted to be a go-to player. I wanted to kind of chart my own path and be a part of creating something special. And um, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Is that where you met your husband at school? That is indeed where I met my husband. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Tara's husband is a Boston police officer. I mean, uh, we're talking about that before the, before the show and that's uh that's uh, tell us about why, why you like Boston so much and why you chose to, to stay there. Yeah, I think, I mean, growing up outside of Toronto, Toronto is obviously a really, really big city, but being a part of the smaller town and the community, I felt like Boston was a really cool hybrid. Um, you know, I think being in the city was going to challenge me um, as a person to grow and experience new things. But at the same time, it has such a community feel. Um, it's built up of a lot of neighborhoods. It's manageable in size. It's built up of a lot of colleges and universities. The population almost doubles um, during the school year. And obviously it's a sports city. It's such a such a really cool sports city. Hockey's really big here. And um, and it was only an eight hour drive from home. So it was um, far enough that I got to do my own thing, but close enough that, you know, family could come visit and, and watch a lot of games. Right, well, your parents are, are, are just around the corner from me. And I know you were talking, you probably ran by my house many times. Uh, so, <laughs> Did your parents make it down to, to see you play a, a, a number of times? They sure did. Yeah, they sure did. Probably about every other weekend they, they were down. And whether it was, you know, drive half the way on Friday night and finish the drive on Saturday morning or, you know, do the whole thing, I still it still baffles me, um, you know, after commuting to Toronto back and forth my entire childhood, driving me and my brother everywhere, that they continued it on and, and drove down so many times to watch games. And, um you know, those Sunday drives back home, I think, is where I really have the respect level for them, getting in the car and getting right back to work. But they were here all the time. Yeah, it can be the 401 on Sunday can be a bit of a problem, right? Uh, so we, I, we got some video uh, that, that our friend Paul Pascush uh, dug up for us from the 2010 Hockey East Final against UConn. So this game went overtime. Now, the Huskies with a chance to win it, but you hustle back to break up the play just in the nick of time. Here it is. Huskies with a two-on-one, and then you get back, make the check, and then it, then then it's you guys, right? Shortly after that, you get you guys get the winner. That goal is scored right there by one Tara Watchorn. Tell us about that goal. It looked like it was a rocket top cheddar. How was that? <laughs> 
You know, it's always a blur when you get into those moments. I remember going into overtime and um, just feeling like this was uh, this was so doable for us. But as you could see, I barely kept it in there. And um, you do so many reps when you're a kid, just walking the blue line, being comfortable. And I think that all came into play right there, just being comfortable, moving laterally um, and getting the shot off. It was kind of against the grain. And as you can see, I got a lucky bounce there. Um, but, you know, like just that that clip brings me back to all the childhood hours on the blue line and taking shots and um, really at that moment you just do what you practice that was such a such a great moment I look and you had number 27 what's the significance of, of that is there is there any oh uh, there is I think growing up I I wore nine a little bit and 52 um but as I kind of got into college I transitioned over to 27 I, I think of Scott Niedemeyer um a pretty pretty cool defenseman um you know I watched growing up and um and it just stuck with me it kind of you know became my identity and I was fortunate enough to be able to stick with that number for the you know the remainder of my career mobile defenseman good puck handler it sounds like Tara Watcher yeah Scott Niedermeyer is a good role model no <laughs> doubt about that Okay, now you're a very popular person here in Newcastle. You know, every day I drive by a sign in Newcastle coming into town and tells me that this is the home of Tara Watchorn, women's hockey Olympic gold medalist. How does it feel to see your name uh, up in lights, as it were, uh, <laughs> coming into Newcastle? You know, that really is, a lot of people ask me about my favorite memories in the Olympics and, and everything like that and, you know, to have my name um, next to the the Newcastle sign is by far one of the most honoring things that um, that kind of happened afterwards. Like I said at the beginning, growing up in Newcastle was such a huge part of my journey. Um, being a part of a small town, a community that really supported me and um, kind of springboarded me off uh, into the rest of my life. I have such a a soft spot, and you know, I always say every time my name got announced for a starting lineup, and it says from Newcastle, Ontario. I mean, it gives me the chills. So to be able to have it come full circle, and um, you know, come back to my hometown after achieving a lifelong dream, and seeing all the support that you know the community uh, provided, and then to be able to go up on the on the sign, it's one of the biggest honors of my life, and it's uh, pretty cool every time I get to see it when I come home. Yeah, my wife and I have been here for four years. We love it. What a great town. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very cool to see that you see your name up there. Okay, so you played for Canada at the uh, under-18s and then the under-22s, uh, eventually the women's national team. What was it like to make those teams and what were the challenges you had, you know, making those teams? Yeah, I, you know, I was really fortunate. So the under-18 program was new right when I was that 17-year-old age group. It, before that, it was just under 22 and then the senior team. So in terms of challenges, I think um, as a young as a young player, you know, it always seemed like a daunting task to make that under 22 team. Like, when can you crack that lineup? When can you get the experience? And I think that that was challenging as a young player once I kind of knew that that was a path I wanted to take. But, you know, like I said, the U18 program started at a perfect timing for me. And it's just to get that experience at a young age, to understand the culture of excellence and performance and what it takes to put that jersey on and represent your country and to be able to get that experience at such a young age um, is life-changing. And every time that I went to a camp, every time I got to put that jersey on, every time I was in those environments, I left just that much more motivated. The flame is lit. Uh, you know, it's such an addicting environment. I wanted to go back. Funny enough, I just came back from one recently and I feel the same way on the coaching side, but 
um, you know, the challenge always is just getting back there. Um, once you're there, you know, you're just, you're surrounded by the most amazing women in your country who do what you do, the most amazing coaches and culture of excellence, like I said, and just tradition there of success. And, you know, it really got the best out of me every time. And um, I grew up so much as a person and a player through that program. But I think the biggest challenge was always just getting back. Um, our country is so deep um, and so talented. And it's, you know, arguably harder to make that team a lot of the times than, you know, it is to get a medal. And um, I just, I felt so fortunate every time I got to go back. And um, it was uh, really cool. Who, who were there any particular players that that took you under their wing made it made the because I mean I'm imagine it would be really overwhelming to you know come to camp and you know I see the Haley Wickenheisers and the Cheryl Powders and you know all these great players have you watching all the way along and and uh, and mm -hmm. now here they are right in front of you. Yeah, it's it was really cool. I'll never forget the first time I made the senior team and playing with you know my idols that I that I watched playing growing up and. You know, I think of the big four was were still there, you know, when I when I first made the team and that being Wickenheiser, Carolyn Ouellette, Jana Hefford and Jillian Apps. Um, obviously, a lot of other veterans were still there as well. But, you know, those four had really been around the game for a long time mm -hmm. and they all kind of left their mark on me in a different way and, and helped me so much. I um, I'll never forget Wickenheiser coming up to me before the gold medal puck drop. Uh, I got to start that game uh, in Newfoundland and said, are you ready to go, kid? You know, anything from that to, you know, Carolyn Ouellette skating up to me um, and centralization year about midway through saying, I think you're playing great. This is awesome. Or, you know, probably the few times they all had to put me in check, too, as a young kid and as a rookie. Um, so they all left their mark on me. I still think about it now how really how cool it was that I got to play on that team with um, such amazing women who led the led the way for all of us. So. The uh, 2014 team making the roster, which was not an easy thing to do. Was there any was there any point uh, in that process where you th thought, uh, it's a little dicey here. Am I going to make this or did that? Yeah, probably the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this about, you know, the Olympic experience, but, um, you know, the way Hockey Canada does it is they centralize t 27, roughly 27 players. And we all move out to Calgary for nine months leading up to the Olympics. And, you know, 27 of you don't go to the Olympics. They cut the roster down. For me, I was a defenseman. It started with nine of us and had to get down to six. And that centralization year is the most grueling. You know, it starts off with like a military style boot camp. And then you get into your, you play at a midget AAA boys league. And, um, you know, cuts can come whenever. And you're, so it's such a unique environment that, you know, you're literally preparing to represent your country in the Olympics and to go and win gold. But at the same time, you're competing with the person next to you to, to go, to go to the Olympics. And that year completely changed my life. And to answer your question, I felt on and off about whether I was going to, you know, I was always kind of in another lineup as a player. And I think that's what made my journey so special. But, you know, I truly believe that I was able to finally crack that top six because I was, I was so bought in. I was in the moment and I genuinely wanted the best for the person next to me. I felt confident that I had nine months to, you know, show my stuff. And at the end of the day, whatever was going to be, was going to be. And I think I played better for it. And that, 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 those nine months changed my life. And it was um, always a question mark whether I was going to get to go or not. But when I finally found out leading up to Christmas there um, in 2013, it, um, unbelievable, unbelievable experience to know that I was going to get to go to the Olympics. 
we uh, had Sammy Joe Small and, and Cheryl Pounder on the show a while back, and, and Sammy Joe wrote a book about about that experience and about well, mm-hmm. it, it involved all their trips to 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 the Olympics and the training camps that were involved, and and uh, you know the experiences. I guess you know it's hard for a goaltender too because you know you want to do well, you want your teammates to do well, but you want to be the starter, you want to be in there, and and I'm mm-hmm. sure I guess it was the same thing for you. Like you always want to be there. On the, uh, during those moments and when things are happening and, and uh, you know, you got a chance to do that. And I, that's such a, such a cool experience I can imagine. Right. Yeah. 100%. It's like we said, our country is just so deep in talent that it's, it's hard to make that team. And uh, when you do, it's a pretty unbelievable feeling. So you, uh, you played 46 games for our national team, uh, won three civil, uh, silvers of the worlds. How was it to finally beat the Americans and in, in when the game really counted in Sochi in 2014. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And it's funny when you think of a world championships, which is what we kind of, you know, when you're a player, you live for every year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Olympics are only every four. When you get into those tournaments, it always feels a little bit unnerving when you beat that team in the round robin. If you go back and look, very rarely does, you know, one of us win both the round robin game and the, the final game. And that's how close it is. You know, like you said, I mean, I've got three silvers from world championships. But when you get into that Olympic year, you know, and in Sochi, we we're fortunate enough. We beat them twice. We beat them in the round robin and in the final. And they were obviously very close games. But, um, you know, in a centralization year, we're just so process focused. We're so focused on what we had to do um, in order to, you know, be at our best that I felt like I didn't think about it the same as I usually did. You know, when we were at a world championships, it was we had a goal. We had, you know, we were there to, you know, accomplish that goal. And we thought a, a little bit less about, you know, just that stress of playing, playing them. Um, and I think maybe that's what, what helped us, you know, win when it came down to it. But like you said, to win in the moments where it matters, that's a, uh, that's a great feeling. And what, you know, you guys had to come behind in that gold medal game. And what was it like when that, uh, you know, when that final whistle blew and, and, you, and you guys had done it? Absolute relief, um, <laughs> relief and happiness. You know, we t- just talked about how it felt when I made that team, but I'll tell you about 30 minutes after I found out I was going to the Olympics, all I could think about was, oh shit, now we got to win. You know, that's the expectation <laughs> when you're playing for Canada. That's, you know, why we, why we go. And um, so just that feeling of knowing that we did it, that all the hard work paid off um, was just the best feeling in the world. And that, that feeling of relief for sure. Now this was a uh, you know this is it this is the winner in overtime obviously and and uh, you know tell us about that moment. Yeah, you know, going into once we got to overtime, right, we had the momentum and and felt really good about it. Um, our team slogan that year was univer- uh, unity and adversity, and I think we had just faced so much of it that in this moment, you know, our team never got too high or too low. So going into overtime obviously felt great. And, um, you know, it's I don't know if I could tell you a specific memory other than jumping off that bench and getting into the pile as quick as possible. But, um, Mm. you know, watching the video is always fun. And, um, you know, Pooh makes it look so easy here, but it's uh, very underestimated what that, you know, it took to execute that. Yeah, that's brilliant. Can't beat that stuff. Definitely. So the the uh, the celebration afterwards. Where's uh, uh, so? 
you know, nobody, very few people had experienced that before. You know, some of the girls on your team had, but, uh, you know, this, you were a newbie at this, but, uh, uh, just tell me about just the, 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 the feelings that, you know, amongst each other, they just, the, just the overall emotion. What was it like on the moment? Yeah. Just getting to, you know, everything we've talked about, everything that we went through leading up to that moment. Um, you know, you just get to celebrate with each other and appreciate each other and appreciate everything that we went through to get to that moment. You know, personally, a way I like to describe is since I knew that it was my goal back in 2002, watching um, our, our women win gold, then every decision that I've made in my life um, leading to that moment was made with this goal in the back of my mind. And every other woman standing next to me with gold medals around their neck did the same thing. And to be able to share that moment with them and, you know, everyone and bring everyone's families together. I think that was the coolest part, you know, after standing for our anthem, which is another one that really stands out for me. But then getting to go back um, and really celebrate and share the experience with our families who did so much to help us get to where we where we are and learn about other people's journeys. And um, it was the best part. What? uh what uh what did the american city after the game if anything did you have i'm sure you had friends on that team as well and and uh you know in, in relationship with that what was uh what were they saying to you afterwards um not much was said to be honest i think there's not much you can say in those moments and and for me yeah definitely we always have crossover in college and leading up to those moments you get to know them pretty well and for me it was actually the year after sochi that i got to get to know a lot of them very well when i started to play back in boston again and I think my biggest reflection on it is that, you know, we all live the same lifestyle. We all make the same sacrifices. We all have, you know, lived the dream. And I think that instant respect for each other and what it takes to get to where we are is is there. And um, it's, you know, we we battle it out on the ice and it's always competitive. And but at the end of the day, I think that respect is there. Now, we've just coming on. We're just coming off the uh, the summer Olympics ending and. Uh, another spectacular Olympics for Canada. We've, we've always done well in the Winter Olympics, but this is our best summer games ever. Uh, 24 medals, uh, mostly by women. I think 18 of them by women. Why do you think the uh, Canadian athletes in particular, uh, the women athletes, were so successful in these games? Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm no expert, but, you know, part of me thinks that just in North America and in Canada, you know, how – progressive we've been and how much our you know our countries have grown in supporting female athletes you know every every country is different and how you know they've grown in in that way and i think that the success of our women really does reflect that it ref there's obviously still a long way to go um you know in support of women's sports and um but at the same time i think the fact that we have had the success that we have on the world stage i think just shows that canada's prioritized that and um, prioritize women um, in general, um, especially in you know in sports. Well, I mean uh, the women's teams, you know, I mean the women's rowing eights teams, the you know your team, uh, the uh, the soccer team, you know, winning gold medal here. But no, so they got a bronze medal in uh, 2012. They got a, a bronze medal in 2016, and in 2020 slash 21, they get the gold. That's consistency. Um, you guys are always first or second in the world. Uh, you're always gold or silver at the Olympics. Um, the men win gold in, in hockey, but in soccer, for example, the men uh, are ranked 70th in the world. Just a few years ago, they ranked 109th in the world. That's a big discrepancy in, in, in women's soccer and men's soccer. Any idea why, why that would be? 
I mean, you touched yeah, on Yeah, and it I think it's kind already. of, yeah, for sure. And I think soccer actually is a really cool sport to highlight kind of what I was just saying because it's a global sport. It's played and invested in across the entire world more than any other one. So I think that it kind of proves that point that um, just the way that, you know, um, the progress um, for women in general, um, let alone in sport, I think shows um, shows when you have, you know, Canadian and American teams performing so well in such a global sport. And like you talked about that difference between the men and the women, I think it could speak to that for sure. So after uh, at the Olympics, uh, after leaving college, you went and played pro for the Boston Blades of the Canadian Women's Hockey League. Uh, you appeared in a couple of all-star games for them. Uh, you were named the 2015 uh, Canadian Women's Hockey League Defenseman of the Year. Uh, tell us about pro hockey, playing pro hockey in, in Boston for the Blades. Yeah, I had, you know, three years there total, and they were all very different. You know, I kind of talked about it um, a minute ago, but the year after the Olympics when I went back, that's when a lot of those, you know, the U.S. national team girls were there, and I got the chance to play with them. And that was one of the most fun years of hockey of my life. I mean, it helped that I got to spend a lot of time on the offensive blue line because our team was just so good. But, you know, getting to know them, getting to know what – what you know where they've come from and what they do and um they're just so driven and so talented and to get to you know not be the the big one in the locker room i kind of got to sit back and just play hockey and uh enjoy the moment and it was kind of refreshing um it was such a fun year and then you know the two years after that um that's when the NW, nwhl started and um a lot of those girls went over to play there for a couple of years and you know I, I stuck it out in the cwhl and um we had a very uh, a very different team to say the least, but you know, in a lot of ways, those two years were some of the most memorable in terms of the culture we built. You know, all of the girls were there because they played because they loved it, and you know, you're working full time jobs, you're coming to the rink late at night, um, you know, traveling on weekends to go right back to work on Monday. I think you just have so much respect for you know everything that that the women did in order just to play the game they love, and it was a, a really fun couple of years um on both sides of it and um you know i got to see a little bit of everything well let's let's talk about the uh, the difference between like i mean you guys are playing it's considered like professional hockey but you've all got full-time jobs you've got it's not exactly the nhl it's a different type of lifestyle uh, tell us about some of the challenges you know the differences and the challenges that say a male yeah. hockey player would have. yeah for sure and i think you know now it's getting to the point where girls are starting to get paid a little bit but the, i think the difference in what makes it hard is that to be able to live a lifestyle to be an athlete and to do it you know you can think about it to do it safely if you're working a full-time job and you know you don't necessarily have whether it's health coverage to go to physio and treatment and, and all that kind of stuff or have the time in the day or money to to train off the ice all of those things go into being a full-time athlete um let alone making a living off of it um so you look at there's a lot of challenges ahead in terms of just creating um, a league where that's possible where and then I think about it as well, um, like a true professional league where you could get traded or drafted to any team unless you're paying a living wage where you can do all of those things and potentially have someone move not just themselves, but their family to a different city you know, that's, it's, we have a long way to go to get to that point. So, you know, I feel grateful that the game had grown as far as it did, that I had a league to play in. And I was one of the fortunate ones that was able to be supported by our national program while I played there. And, um, but like I said before, not every, not every woman did. And, um, 
I think we we have a long way to go, and I think some of those things are are overlooked. You know, when we talk about professional women's hockey, and it's not just about the paycheck, but it's about the resources and support around the players and the team, so that they can live a lifestyle to put the best product on the ice and to truly, you know, springboard and help the game grow. There's been a bit of a split between a couple of the leagues uh, over the last few years, and, and and trying to get things organized. How do you? And you, now you so the, now the two main, main uh, organizations, National Women's Hockey League and Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, are they on the same page? And and if not, what do they need to do to get on the same page? Yeah, I think it's it's a really tough situation. And, and first, I'll say you know in doing my research, um, you know a lot of leagues had had two leagues before they have eventually had one successful and whether it's the nhl and i don't football same thing happened in soccer a bunch of times so um first i guess i'd say is i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that this challenge that you know sometimes it has to get worse before it gets better i'm hopeful that this will you know push us in the right direction and having that competition to you know to challenge whether it's one league that comes out on top or a completely new one forms um, but I think the biggest difference, you know, you see a lot of those national team players who are in the PWHPA. Um, and I think it speaks to kind of what I was just talking about, you know, kudos to the NWHL for, you know, for striving to create, you know, a professional league and they're paying the girls and, and all of that's great. And I, and I don't know enough to truly say anything negative or positive about either side, but I think the ultimate goal, and I know what the girls are saying on the PWHPA side is, it's more than just a $20,000 a year paycheck. It's more than just, you know, that type of thing in order to be professional. It's how do we have the resources to, to allow these women to live professional athlete lifestyles and we can do better. And I think I give them so much credit. I mean, it, I can't imagine it's not easy being on their side right now, not having a league to play in. And, you know, a lot of those girls who are still my age are making a lot of sacrifices in hopes of, you know, creating a league that can do that in the future. And I give them a lot of credit for, you know, having the vision and being willing to make those sacrifices now in hopes that we can get there one day. What do you think it's, is it going to take? What is it going to take? Is it going to take a TV contract? Is it going to take, you know, what, what do you think it needs, it needs to, to get that boost? Yeah, it's tough to say. You know, I wish I wish I had all the answers. I think, you know, a TV contract would be obviously very helpful. I think the visibility of the sport, um, the product's there. The game has grown. You know, as, as we've talked about, whether it's the Olympic cold medal game and the amount of viewership that that gets, um, you know, I th there's a market there for it. So part of me thinks, yeah, we make it more visible. I think that could only help. But I think there's got to be some type of sustainability um, in terms of the financing and operationally. Uh, within the league and whether that's, you know, the NHL stepping in and support, you know, kind of like the NBA does or uh, or a different route. But I think there's got to be some security there so that when that product does get put on TV, um, it's the product we know we're capable of, you know. Yeah, that's it. And it's, it's it w, the WNBA you know, gets supported by the NBA. Why has not why hasn't the NHL stepped up to uh, to support a women's league? My guess is that when uh, when there's when there's when there's cl a clear vision, you know, and and, and uh, you know like a, a collective agreement on how we're going to move ahead here, I, I'm 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 suspecting that the NHL will step will step up and say, okay, you got you got something here, you got agreement on this, all right, we'll support it, and I think that's what it's going to yeah. take. And I don't think it's that far away. I really don't. I, I mean, I can't see how. 
you know, the NHL can't just sit around and watch, you know, the support that the WNBA gets and not say, hey, we can support a women's league too, right? So it, it, it yeah, only makes sense sure. to me, and, and, it, and, it, and it really should, should happen sooner than later. I want to talk a little bit about your coaching career. So you had the, uh, the experience as an assistant at Boston College. You're, you're the first alum, alum from Boston, sorry, Boston University uh, to become a full-time assistant coach. Uh, that's pretty impressive. What was that like? Yeah, it was a whirlwind, you know, um, obviously a lot of people see the, you know, the athlete side of my career, but I've always wanted to be a coach. Um, there was ever, there was never any doubt in my mind and yeah, it's tough to see a path into the coaching world a lot of the times. And that, you know, I was always he hesitant of, and, um, you know, funny enough when I, when I retired in 2017, the coaching job opened up at BU, you know, the assistants had been there for nine years before that. And, um, I took a leap. I reached out to Brian DeRocher, who coached me um, when I was at BU myself, and um, and I'm so grateful. You know, he took a chance on me as a young coach, getting my feet wet, and um, it was the I mean the best um, thing that could have ever happened to me. And being a coach is everything that I thought it would be and more. And um, I'm so grateful that I got to start at my alma mater. I think that. It helped in a lot of ways, right? Knowing the school and and knowing all that stuff, I wasn't learning that on the fly like everything else. And um, pretty unbelievable and unforgettable four years there. Well, and a, a pretty unbelievable success rate for a rookie coach. So you worked with the Terriers defense, uh, player skill development. You saw a penalty kill, and during the 2020-21 season, that was rose to fourth in the country. 92.1% penalty kill. That's not, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Terriers had the fourth best goals against average in the NCAA, 1.61. Um, so uh, that's pretty good, you know, that, that you, the work you did with, with, on the defense here. Now, we got a clip from one of your games this past season. Uh, you were being interviewed after the game, after a nice win for, for the Terriers. Uh, let, let's pay, uh, Vic, Vic can play that for us now, please, Vic. Thank you. Nice to get the win today, that is for sure. Um, and I think it's nice to get the win how we got it. Um, attention to detail, We there was team goals through and through. We were playing together as a unit of five and to get on the board on our power play and um, to win the special teams game, I think it all kind of came together and all the hard work we've been focusing on the little things and um, I'm really proud of the girls. Right on. And now you're moving to Stonehill College. Tell us about that gig. It's it's a new gig. The Skyhawks uh, hockey, uh, women's hockey program uh, set to get a, underway a year from now. Tell us about how you got that gig. Yeah, I mean, where, where, do, you, where do I start? You know, I, like you said, I got to start at my alma mater and it was hard to ever think about leaving BU. And, um, you know, in the back of my mind, I, I always knew I was going to have to grow as a coach and, you know, get other experiences. I always wanted to be a head coach. And, um, you know, when the job opened up, obviously the location catches your eye, right? My husband's a Boston police officer. Uh, Stonehill College is in Easton, Massachusetts, only 30 minutes south of Boston. Um, so, you know, it caught my eye. And then on top of that, the opportunity to be a head coach. But what kept drawing me in was the opportunity to build a program from scratch. And I sat on it, I sat on it, but it just kept pulling me in. You know, it's it's not like I was gonna leave BU to go to another rival Boston school. You know, I'm, it would be leaving BU to go build something. And so when I looked into it and I reached out and was able to get on campus, um, you know, I got that gut feeling all over again. You know, similar to when I took the chance on BU back in the day as a player, I got that gut feeling here. I felt like there was that community feel right away. And a lot of 
ways I feel like I'm coming home to that Newcastle community feel. It's a small school, only 2,500 students. Um, and athletics plays a huge role here. And every person that I met on campus, every, you know, walking around, I just felt like there was a great foundation here to build my vision and what's important to me um, as a coach. And I took the leap and here I am. So how do you go about the job of recruiting now to a brand new program? Oh, there's a, the uh, light we've talked about. <laughs> it's, it's, I know it, it's, um, it's sensitive to movement, right? So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but with recruiting, so yeah, I think the biggest thing that is, um, that's been a lot of fun is, you know, you're selling a vision. And because I think I went through it on the playing side, you know, one of the biggest things I say is I'm looking for, for young women that want to be game changers, that want to take a chance with me on something, that want to be go-to players and um, want to help build something special. You, you know, no matter what, that first, that inaugural team, that first year, you know, you won't be able to take away from those girls that they're, you know, the first um, women to put on the jersey, that they're the ones that are leaving their mark on the program. And, you know, on the recruiting side specifically, I really feel like, you know, like you mentioned, our 2022, that year is going to be our first season. And for those young athletes, they've gone through a lot in the last three, four years. You know, the recruiting was so early there for a little bit. Um, then the rule changed. Then the pandemic hit. And this class really struggled to get seen. They struggled to, you know, kind of find their homes in college the traditional way. And for many of those reasons, I felt like a lot of great Division One caliber players are still out there. And so I think there's a really niche opportunity to build our program with some great talent that's still there. And, um, you know, and obviously with that extra year of eligibility in college hockey is making some other, you know, more established programs, rosters inflated. And, you know, there's a transfer opportunity there, too. So I think the combination of both those things have really, you know, set me up for success in uh, obviously a little bit of a daunting task, you know, building a program from scratch. But for a lot of reasons, I feel like there's a great, um, great opportunity out there. Building a program from scratch during a pandemic. Well, nobody's ever been able to say they've done that before. Uh, have you have you have you reached out at all? Is there anybody you've uh, kind of put your feelers out to and said, uh, "Hey, have you thought about you know?" Yeah, for sure. So we already have a handful, if not a little bit more, of girls who are verbally committed to join us in 2022. And, um, you know, I hit the ground running. I felt fortunate. I've, I've been on the road for the last four years as an assistant at BU, and I felt like I knew this class a little bit and the players coming up. And it's been a busy summer so far. We've had girls on campus. I've been on the road recruiting. Um, and, you know, I, I think the fact that it's been busy is a, is a great thing. I really can't complain. It's getting some traction. Um, and girls want to wanna come here. So I, I can't believe we're already – at the number we are and the interest that we've gotten. And um, I'm so hopeful for the future. When will you be able to have workouts? Yeah, so not until 2022. So I literally will have this entire year with the, I won't have any young women running around just yet. It'll just be me and my uh, staff on campus. And um, so that's September when they, you know, move down or move over here in 2022. That's when we'll be kicking off and uh, starting our practices and getting ready to go. Well, I mean, uh, challenges have never been an issue for you before. I mean, you, 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 you've answered the bell every time. Seems to me there's somebody from, I think Larry Holmes might be from Easton, if I'm not mistaken, Easton Mass. Maybe it's Easton, Pennsylvania. Anyway. That's Jim Craig cool as well, fun fact. Jim Craig? 
Okay, fun yeah. fact. Jim Craig, great goaltender. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, the, uh, the, the future looks bright here at Stone, Stonehill and, uh, because you're involved, that's what I'm going to say. Uh, I want to say, uh, you know, Tara, the, the, the everybody I, I talked to, uh, about you coming on the show here in Newcastle, I was pretty excited about it. And, uh, you got a lot of support. Have you become uh, a Patriots fan yet or, uh, what's the deal? You know, it definitely, I mean, I can't hide it. Um, big Tom Brady fan. So we're in a little bit of a transition period right now, but yeah. it's a uh, city. I mean, it's pretty contagious. It's hard not to jump on the bandwagon. Um, but don't worry. I still am a Leafs fan. Okay. That's good. Yeah. That's never going to change. Good for, good for you. All <laughs> right. We appreciate that. Listen, uh, thanks again, Tara, for being on the show and uh, good luck with the new gig at Stone Hill. If you want to follow Tara, you can, uh, there's there her, her handles and, uh, on Twitter, it's uh, tweet, tweet and Tara 27, Watchy 27. Facebook, it's Tara Stone with Watchorn in parenthesis, I believe. So uh, check out Tara's uh, 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 social media uh, handles and, and social media sites. And, uh, and if you're a young up and coming hockey player, Stonehill College might just be your destination. Good luck with everything that you're doing there. And, and uh, I know you'll have tremendous success as you always do, Tara. Thank you for so much for being on the show. And uh, remember, we're all in it together. Love it. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. This was great. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top of the line, imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. Slow play. It's a slippery slope. First you go looking for that lost ball, and then everything goes sideways. There are a lot of golfers on the course. Make certain of your point of entry, look quickly, and move on. Remember, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Find anything, Bob? Not yet. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to HPIBet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today and your first bet is free. That's HPIBet.com. Okay, now it's time for my COSA Swiss Pick of the Week. 
Last week, we were a Mohawk for Tuesday night six race. I took the number three horse, Toxicity, who got parked and, and then never found quarter. any racing room on the inside. Toxicity finished fifth and was claimed in the race. Jody Jamison got it a maintenance man to victory over the favored Cool Rock. The 6.5 exactor paid $13.90. Now, I'm starting something new this week. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, starting with a $200 bankroll, and let's see where it goes. So I'm going to go to Mohawk for Thursday night's seventh race, the $82,000 final of the Millard Farm Trotting Series for two-year-old Colts. And I like the number 10 horse, World at War Deo, driven by Jody Jamison. I'm going to bet $5 win in place, and I like the 10 Fourier Triactor Box for $2.00. That's World of War Dale, along with um, Mercutio and Delgado, who is one of my favorite Jays. I might also throw in there a $1 exactor box uh, for a 10. This bet's going to cost me uh, $22, $28 if I throw in the exacta. And, uh, you know, I've been in the money about 50% this year. So let's see what happens. And if you play, good luck. The Ontario Star Stakes Gold Finals are coming up. Two-year-old Colt Pacers goes this Saturday night. Then three-year-olds take center stage a week Saturday. For all the racing updates, visit COSA TV on, on Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options, and uh, you can check out the stake schedule as well. Well, considering that they almost never even materialized, the Tokyo Olympics left us with some incredible memories. The most successful summer games in the history of Canadian sports, 24 medals. Our athletes were absolutely amazing. Damien Warner took the decathlon title in record fashion, hitting the 9,000 point mark, first time that's ever been done. Andre de Grasse with gold in the 200 meters to go along with bronze in the 100 and another bronze in the 4 by 100 relay. The women's soccer team, one of our favorite moments for sure. Finally beating the Americans when it really mattered. That was fun as well. Uh, the women's eights in rowing, they had about as much for, uh, fun as a person can possibly have. It was great to see that. Penny Alexiak breaking the record for the most uh, medals ever, being the most decorated Canuck in, in the history of the Olympics. And she could be back in three more years for some more. Uh, Maggie, Maggie McNeil with a gold in the pool. Mo Sharon topping the podium in weightlifting. Kelsey Mitchell wrapping it up nicely with a gold medal in the final day in cycling. It was wonderful from start to finish. Nice to see the Blue Jays finally get back home to the Rogers Center. And what a homecoming. Uh, seven and two in the friendly confines. It's pitching has been solid. Big improvement in the bullpen with those trade deadline deals. Defensively, they're getting it done. And George Springer, wow. What do you say about George Springer? He finally gets a chance to show us what he can do, and that is plenty. Earning that big salary, folks. Last week, he hit 364 with three home runs, 11 RBI in eight games, including that amazing three-run bomb in the eighth to lead the Birds to a massive come-from-behind win over the rival Red Sox. For the second straight time, Springer is your American League Player of the Week. This team is fun, folks. Great start for the New York Argos. New York Argos, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, threw for 354 yards and a couple of touchdowns, including a fourth-quarter score to Curly Gittens Jr. The Argos knocked off the Stampeders 23-20 right in Calgary. Bethel Thompson completed 26 of his 37 passes, including the 39-yard hookup with Gittens Jr. Boris Beattie kicked a 37-yard field goal with 34 ticks left. That was a margin of victory. The Argos are in tough this week against the defending champs in Winnipeg. The Blue Bombers, well, they open up with a win over Hamilton. Bianca Andrescu uh, opened the defense of her National Bank Women's Tennis title with a W. The uh, 21-year-old from Mississauga bounced uh, Harriet Dart of Britain in three sets. And we've lost one of the all-time great goaltenders. 
Tony Esposito passed away after a battle with pancreatic cancer. Cancer, the Hall of Famer who played almost all of this 16-year career with the Blackhawks, was 78. He will miss him. He was a very good man. And we close with a look at the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great people. I highly recommend them all. A reminder, the show is also available on Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network at Zingo TV. Thanks once again to Tara Watchorn for being on the show. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next week when Sandy Holly and Jason Portwando drop by for a Queen's Plate preview. We'll see you then. Get Aldo at Remax Crossroads. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Call 416 Get Aldo or visit www.getaldo.com to find out what next level real estate looks like. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. Brought to you by MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business consulting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the needs of our clients in the private, public, and non-for-profit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to doing business and personalized strategies to help people and organizations succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Toronto, Mississauga, Burlington and more, our team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca to learn more. Make your next getaway a spectacular one at this luxury cottage on Rice Lake near Butley from Verona Real Estate Group. Perfect for a large or extended family retreat, an ideal location for any corporate morale-boosting getaway, employee bonding session, a week here and you're set. A beautiful, spacious building for up to 10 guests, featuring five bedrooms, three and a half baths, state-of-the-art kitchen facilities, and more. Enjoy swimming, excellent fishing options, just an hour and a half from Toronto. Book for any and all seasons, fully winterized, ice fishing, cross-country ski trails, and downhill skiing available nearby. Book today by calling Amir at 647-657-6571 or email amir at veronarealestategroup.com.